Welcome to the Mountain Park Church Podcast. We're excited to share this week's message with you. Our mission is to allow God to work in and through us, and we'd love to hear your story of how God has been working in or through you. Email us at mystory@mp.church and tell us how God has been working in and through you. Today we're actually doing a part B to our message last week as we talk about the culture, the the culture of our church. Last week we talked about um, having a culture of surrender and and sort of the big idea from last week is was that spiritual maturity is measured in depth of surrender and experience through obedience. It's lived out through obedience. And today I wanna add sort of the second side to that coin because with surrender always has to come dependence. And we can't be fully surrendered unless we live in full dependence on Jesus. And we're actually going to pop back into Acts Chapter 12, if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me there in the New Testament. Um, what I love about the Bible, I just, we could sit in the same six verses all year. We're not going to, just so you know, we're going to move on through this. But I just love that there, there's such a richness and a depth to the Word of God that it, it, if we're just reading it to get through it, we miss so much. And so we're going to literally sit in all of the same verses we did last week, but just talk about this additional sort of revelation that I believe Luke, the writer, is inviting us to understand. So Acts 12, I'm just going to read it, and then we're going to talk about some things. Acts 12, verse 1, about that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with a sword. That means he cut his head off. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers, that's 16 in total, to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Now, when Herod was about to bring him out, on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. I'm going to just leave it there for another moment. Um, I've titled my message this week, I can't help myself. Now, either when you hear that, your mind just goes to Motown right away, and you just start humming along. I don't know, was it Aretha Franklin that, I don't know, I'm a little bit too young for that. But either when you hear that, you go to Motown, or when you hear that, you might think of some things in your life that you would say, man, when I get around that, I just can't even help myself. For me, when I was actually thinking about this, I can't help myself idea, which has two meanings we're going to explore today. I was thinking about the reality that uh, today we're going to talk about bread, like all day. We're going to talk about bread and how Jesus is the bread of life. And it's just ironic that I just started keto like two weeks again. I fell off the wagon so hard over the summer. Like I just, it just was a disaster of a summer of 
food-wise in my life. And uh, so I just felt this conviction to get back onto keto. If you don't know what that is, it's like no carbs, no sugar. And um, so I'm not gluten intolerant or anything. I'm just more calorie intolerant. And my body just doesn't respond well to an influx of useless calories in its system. And I know if you're listening on our podcast online, you can't see me. Just picture Arnold Schwarzenegger um, in his worst days, most undisciplined days. I've got a healthy uh, long-term plan going on to uh, survive. If there's an apocalypse in the next uh, 30 days, I'll be okay with that. But um, for me, when I think of that phrase, I can't help myself, two things come to mind. And if you know me well, you'll instantly agree. One is pastries, um, I, and the other are Doritos. So those two in my life are like uh, a disastrous Achilles heel. So much so, a few years ago, um, I and some friends were in London, England, during the Olympics, and we were doing some ministry there, and um, on one of our days off, we just had some time to kill. So we were downtown in London. I'd been there uh, several times before. So I wasn't too interested in taking in the sights and Big Ben and the London Tower and all that stuff. I was interested in yelping the best pastry place in downtown London. And so I took it upon myself to lead our team in a strategic tour of downtown to find the best pastry. Now, British culture is not known for its culinary excellence, and pastries in London seems like an oxymoron when you think about it. But I found a pastry shop, and I went in this shop, and I thought, you know what, I'm just going to bless our whole team and just buy a ton of pastries. And this is my love language that I'm expressing to them, and so I'm just going to let them in on it. After all, I can't help myself. I'm in a pastry shop. And so I buy copious amounts of pastries and I come out and I, and I, I have one in my mouth by the time I'm exiting the, the, the restaurant or the store. Um, and I say to the guys, hey, does anybody want pastry? No, no, we're okay, we're okay. And I said, okay, that's fine. I'll just hang on to them and uh, we'll keep walking. And Maybe 10 minutes later, do you guys, I have pastries here. Like, why don't you have some? No, no, we're fine. We're okay. Um, because I can't help myself, one led to two, which led to three, which led to four. And after about 20 minutes, I had eaten all of the pastries that I bought for our whole team. And um, at the end of the, like literally the bottom of the paper bag that just has crumbs from the croissants and good stuff I bought. Um, one of the guys we were with, Nathaniel, said, I'll have one of those now. <laughs> and I just looked at him and I'm like, I just ate them all. Like, I asked you, I begged you to take these from me because I can't help myself. I can't. I love Europe and it's not for the castles and cool stuff. It's for the pastries. I was in France one time. I'm, I'm not kidding. Uh, this, is, uh, this is not an exaggeration. We landed at six in the morning. And I already, as we were in the airport, was Googling where to get the best pastry 
in the downtown core of Paris. We landed in France and I had it mapped by the time we got our rental van, I had it mapped to go to this specific little pastry place downtown somewhere near the Eiffel Tower. We were not going to Paris. We were going to Normandy, which is not even close really to Paris, but because I can't help myself, because I'm large and persuasive, we went to downtown Paris at seven in the morning during rush hour, and uh, we found this little pastry place, and I walked in. These were years of total undisciplinedness, just by the way. Um, I walked in, and I proceeded to order some pastries. I thought, this is the jackpot. I've just hit the jackpot. We're in France. This is what they do. This is what they're here for on this earth. This is what they do. So I proceed to order. The, uh, the kind woman behind the counter says, no, 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 en français. And I'm going, oh boy. I literally dropped out of French class the minute I could, and I have not retained really any. I regret it now, it was a bad decision. But, so I start just absolutely butchering the French language to try with sign language, order the pastries that I'm trying to get. Behind me, there's a line forming. It's the morning commute. People are coming in for their morning breakfast. There's a line of people that's growing and growing because I'm taking so long. And she's very patiently waiting for me to try and express myself in French, Parisian French especially. Finally, I get through. There's, I'm not even joking. There's 15 people behind me and they're angry. They're just angry as I'm struggling through. I finish, I pay, and then in perfect, unbroken English, she says, thank you, sir, have a great day. <laughs> I looked at her, and if I was not working for a church, I would have said some things in English or French, it didn't matter, I know those words in French. I was so frustrated. I got to the van and because food is an emotional thing for me and the anxiety was high, I ate the whole bag of pastries <laughs> after that. So those who know me know that I can't help myself when I get around pastry. And this summer I couldn't help myself when there were Doritos in the house and it was eight o'clock and the kids were just in bed. I, there's just something in me that gets triggered and I don't know what to do. And so now I'm on keto and um, I'm just praying for discipline with all of this stuff. But in the same way that the I can't help myself can mean a total lack of discipline and indulgence in one area, it can also mean in our lives that we need to come to the realization Hopefully sooner than later, we need to come to the realization and understanding that we can't help ourselves. Peter is in a prison cell, guarded with maximum security. And because of what God had done in his life, because of what Jesus had done in his life, and you can listen to last week's message to get all that context, but because of what Jesus had done in his life, not only was he willing to surrender and submit to Jesus and his lordship, 
He was also willing to go, I can't help myself. So I'm actually going to trust the only one who can. And today, as we combine this idea of surrender and dependence, as we talk about what Jesus came to do, I'm just praying that some light bulbs go off for you like they did for me. As we talked about last week, this chapter in this book is a freeze frame. This is Luke's opportunity to say, look, there's two kingdoms in this world. And how they operate is diametrically opposite. You may see things going around and on around you that look a certain way. But there's another kingdom that operates a different way. And this chapter is Luke's way of inviting us to see and understand the principles and authority of the kingdom of God. And his invitation is to understand what it means to walk in surrender and dependence. And then experience what it means to walk in authority through those. And so like we said yesterday, Luke, or last week, Luke sets the scene. And the scene is set in verse 3 by him acknowledging and pointing out that this is the week of the festival of unleavened bread. So immediately, immediately, that week that Peter was in prison, those days he would have been reflecting on the last and greatest week of Passover, which was the last one Jesus celebrated on earth. His mind as he's sitting in prison would have been triggered back to that moment. But Passover started a long time before that. And I want you to turn with me as we walk through here, we're going to go at light speed. So the second book of the Bible, Exodus, I just want to give you some context here. Exodus 12. So you may or may not know the story of the Exodus, Moses, confrontation with Pharaoh, all of these plagues that happen. The um, Pharaoh is uh, buckling down and he's, he's refusing to let the Israelites go, and then there's one last plague that God has planned for them, which is to actually kill the firstborn children of the Egyptians. And anyone that doesn't have the mark of lamb's blood over their doors that night. We're going to pick this up kind of in the middle, and we're going to just walk through a few things. Exodus 12, verse 11. So Moses is giving instructions. It's the night before this last and decisive plague is about to hit Egypt. They've told everybody, get in your homes. You're going to sacrifice a perfect firstborn lamb. You're going to eat it and you're going to spread its blood over the threshold of your door so that when the angel of death passes through, he sees it and passes by your home. So uh, verse 11 says, in this manner, you shall eat it. This is talking about this meal with your belt fastened and your sandals on your feet and your staff in your hand and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. Important point number one. I'm going to jump down Exodus 12, 33 to 39. 
So God has executed this judgment on Egypt. And it says the Egyptians were urgent with the people to send them out of the land in haste. For they said, we shall be dead. So the people took their dough before it was leavened. This is the Israelites. Their kneading bowls being bound up in their cloaks on their shoulder. So this is all happening really quickly. And God is saying to Moses, when you prepare to celebrate what I'm about to do, keep your sandals on, keep your belt on, be ready to go because I'm going to do something that will require action in your life. I'm going to do something that will require you to drop everything and follow me and leave with me. Next verse as we pick this up, Exodus 13. We're just kind of stringing our way through this story. Exodus 13, 11. And this is God's instructions again to Moses. When the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites as he swore to you and your fathers and shall give it to you, you shall set apart to the Lord all the first, all the first opens to the womb. All the firstborn of your animals that are males shall be the Lord's. Every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb, or if you do, will not redeem it, shall break its neck. What God is just saying there really quickly is either you're going to give me the best of your first, or I'm going to take everything else from you. The rest is spoiled. The rest is ruined. And so God begins to lay this principle. If we want to walk in dependence on him, in relationship with him, the first thing we need to do is bring him the first and best of every blessing in our life. Everything that he's done and provided, we bring him the first and best. And in this verse that seems so obscure, he's literally saying, if you're not going to bring it to me, you better break the neck of that other animal because I'm not gonna bless the other 90% of what you have. And this first principle of dependence that we need to learn today as we talk about communion is that God is worth your first and your best. I was thinking about that. Oftentimes we, we, we relegate that just to finances. And yes, it's so true of our life. And you may be sitting here going, well, that's an Old Testament law. That's Old Testament theology. And yes, it is. But Jesus not only came to fulfill the law, but to amp it up a thousand percent. So if the first and best is what was required in the Old Testament, your whole life is what's required in the New Testament. Jesus, Jesus didn't come to, to wipe away what we're reading about here. He came to extend it and increase it. And so God is saying, if you want to see me work in power in your life, to see me activated, you need to bring me your first and best. The first and best of the resources that he blesses you with. I was thinking about it this morning the first and best of your day every day. How do you start your day? Do you roll out of bed and scroll your Facebook feed and read all the frustrating and annoying comments that you see in there? Get amped up and angry and annoyed with that? 
Do you just go into what you need to do for work for the day? Do you just go into autopilot mode? Or do you actually give God the first and best part of your day? Do you actually set aside even just a few minutes to say, God, I'm going to start my day. I'm going to give you the first and best by declaring who you are, by telling you that you're worthy of everything in my life by surrendering myself and submitting myself under your lordship and authority, by inviting you to lead me today, by inviting you to point out any assignments or activity that you want me involved in today? Or do you start it with everything else that needs to get done? Okay, God, you know what? I'm just gonna connect with you uh, at lunch. Nope, doesn't happen. God, I'm going to connect with you after dinner. Doesn't happen. God, I'm going to connect with you at bedtime. Before I go to sleep, I'm going to spend a few minutes. Before you know it, you've binge watched your series on Netflix. You're exhausted and you just roll into bed. And yet we're asking God to bless us in our life. We're asking God to manifest himself. We're asking God to move in power in our life. And yet we refuse to give him the first and best when it comes to our time, when it comes to our emotional energy, when it comes to our trust, when it comes to our resources and finance, when it comes to our families, we struggle. And as God is leading the Israelites out of captivity, he says, he keeps reminding them that it's with a strong arm that I've brought you deliverance. It's with a strong arm that I've I've given you freedom in your life. It's with a strong arm that I've redeemed you and set you free. But the first thing you need to do after I've given you freedom is learn to trust me in dependence on me. And that starts with giving me your first and best. You know, what's really interesting, just total side note. I've been studying in the life of Samuel, the prophet in the Old Testament. And one of the things about his story that I didn't pick up on before, his mom wasn't able to have children for a long, long time. And in that culture and in that time, that was a disgraceful, demoralizing situation to be in as a woman. And year after year, she would go in that period of time to the temple and she would pray and ask God and she would pour out her heart and her life. And one year, God answered her prayer and she had a son, something she'd never been able to do. And this little part of this story just jumped out to me because after she had weaned Samuel, she said, I'm going to give him back to God to serve in his temple. This son that she'd prayed for decades for, for years for, cried for, fought for, this son that was finally here, the blessing had finally come, the provision had finally come, she gives back to God. And the Bible actually says that God blessed her to have more and more children after. See, she understood that if we're too afraid to give God the first and best, then we're gonna struggle 
to live in total dependence and surrender on him in other areas of our life. I'm going to move along here. Exodus 15. Twenty-six and twenty-seven. So God has brought them out of Egypt. They've crossed the Red Sea, and incidentally, God said, "I'm bringing you across the Red Sea because I don't want you to see how close and easy it is to get to where I'm eventually going to bring you." So we're not going to do this the easy way. We're going to do it the hard way. And they go through the sea, and He's teaching them about trust and obedience. He's teaching them about surrender and dependence. 26, if you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God and do that which is right in his eyes and give ear to his commandments and keep his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord. Listen to this. Then they came to Elam, where there were 12 springs of water and 70 palm trees, and they encamp there. So they finally, God delivers them out. They have all of the plunder from Egypt, and he's brought them to this place that's got fresh water and shade. This is the best, God. It's the best. I'm so grateful and thankful for everything you've done in my life. Then chapter 16 happens, and it says that God led them from there, all of them, into the wilderness of sin. Exodus 16, 14 says this. Okay, so they're in the wilderness. They get frustrated. They're looking at their lives going, I, God, I don't understand. I thought you were bringing us out to be a whole nation under you. I thought you were bringing us out to give us a sense of identity and purpose, to to give us a place to call home, to give us the things that we needed in our life. And so they begin complaining and grumbling. They find themselves in the wilderness, not only not having a nation of their own, but not even knowing where they're going to get the next meal from. And God is teaching them that after you give me the first and best part of your life, I'm going to challenge and call you to walk in surrender and dependence on me. And so he sends down a supernatural provision called manna. Verse 14, and when the dew had gone up in the mornings, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. When the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, what is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, it is the bread that the Lord has given to you to eat. And so God gave them some boundaries with his provision. And he said, look, you can collect enough for the day, but you're not to store this for tomorrow. Because he was beginning to build in them a foundation of dependence and surrender that allowed for him to provide for them that allowed him to provide for them on a daily basis, kind of rings as an echo with Jesus when he taught his disciples how to pray. And he said, give us this day our daily bread. Jesus is inviting you and inviting me into a culture and walk of dependence 
where we release control of tomorrow, where we release the anxiety and fear of what may or may not happen, when we release our lives into his hands and allow him to be the one that leads us and provides for us. The worship team can come back up. Here's where I wanna land this plane. So Luke has frozen the frame on Peter in jail. During this week that's referencing these verses that we've read from Exodus, which was a story of God's power to deliver and a story of God's power to provide. So this is the scene that's set. He's contrasting these two realities that we experience in life. This reality that we wanna be in control and that we wanna provide for ourselves and that we wanna provide for our friends and our family, this reality that we, we wanna store up things so that we have uh, things set aside for a rainy day, this idea that, that we, we would actually store up what he's doing spiritually in our life and he's contrasting this with this reality that says, if you want to experience my provision and my blessing, it comes through surrender and dependence, not through storage. We're going to take communion together. And I want to bring you really quickly to Luke 22. When I read this this week, some light bulbs went off in my own life. Luke 22. This is just before Jesus is arrested, tortured, killed on a cross, and rises again. This is the last Passover that Jesus had with his disciples before his death and resurrection. Jesus invites them to join him in this upper room. And he says, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you, verse 15, before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, take this and divide it amongst yourselves, for I tell you that from now on, I won't drink of the cup of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Have you ever wondered if the Passover lamb was the symbol of God's salvation and strength and deliverance, why didn't Jesus give them a piece of the meat and say, this is the lamb, my salvation for you. Why didn't he give them the lamb that was the sacrifice that meant their freedom? Why did he give them a useless piece of bread? Because Jesus at this last supper was making a statement that what I'm about to go through in giving my life for you is sufficient and enough. The time for my sacrifice will be over. I'm identifying, Jesus said, with the bread because the bread symbolizes my provision in your life, your need to depend on me, 
Bread in the Near Eastern culture had great significance. Bread was the thing that they ate more than meat. It was the thing that sustained them and gave them life. And Jesus is saying, I didn't come to just die for you. Yes, I did. But I came to give you life and to sustain you. That bread that in order to bake this unleavened bread, the, the flour would need to be ground and beat and pulverized in order to make the flour that would become bread. That dough had to be exposed to fire. And Jesus is saying, everything I'm going through in my life, everything I'm suffering, every affliction, every wound, it's not just to save you, yes, it is that, but it's actually to lead you, to provide for you, to be your daily source of need, to be the one that you turn to when you don't know what to do, to be the one that you reach out to when you're confused and when you're frustrated and when you're at the end of your rope. Jesus identifying himself with the bread was a powerful symbol of his desire to lead you and I in our daily life. He was literally telling his disciples, remember that manna that came from heaven and fed your ancestors? I'm that in the flesh. I'm God's provision for you. I'm God's solution for you. I'm God's hope for you. I'm God's freedom for you. I'm his deliverance for you. I'm his love for you. I'm his grace for you. I am the things that you need in life. You don't need to store up the good things that you get every now and then so that you can ride it out. I've come to give you life. So I felt like God challenging me this week with this statement. Andrew, you trust me to save you. You trust me to save you, but do you actually trust me to provide for you? You trust me with the big stuff. You trust me that my grace is sufficient for you. You trust me that by putting your hope and your trust in me, you'll have eternal life with me. And you trust me to save you with the big stuff. But do you trust me with the little stuff? Do you trust me that I am your source of supply? Do you trust that in my presence is hope and life and freedom? Do you trust that Jesus wants to provide for you the things you need emotionally? physically, in your family, and in your work. This is where, for Peter and the apostles, the rubber really hit the road. Because this is the stuff that we don't just talk about on Sunday. This is the stuff that we have to live on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. We hope that you are challenged and inspired by what you heard today, and that you're willing to allow God to work in and through your life in bigger ways this week. We'd love to stay connected with you on social media, 
facebook.com slash mountainparkchurch and instagram.com slash mountainparkchurch. Finally, if you have a story of how God has been working in and through you, we'd love to hear it. Just email us at mystory@mp.church at and tell us how God has been working in your life lately.